A week or so ago, I was talking to my friend Gareth about how frustrated I was feeling that I really don't have a clear and consistent creative voice. It's not uncommon for me to feel overwhelmed and frankly paralyzed by the number of options I have and unable to get out of my own way to take action on any of them. You need to talk to Vary, he said. Like today, don't put it off. I'm going to tell her you'll be calling. Now, Gareth's partner, Vary, wears quite a few hats, one of them being that of creative coach, helping people like me or maybe you to fail forward and overcome some of the obstacles that we create so that we can get back into the flow state of making. Now, I reached out to her and asked if she'd be willing to talk about some of this with me, and I'm so glad she said yes. It's a terrific conversation about figuring out what a creative life looks like to you and unapologetically striving for balance, happiness, and success doing what you love. I'm Jeffrey Sidoris. I'm talking to Very Longmere, and this is In Between. You are one of those people, Very, who, who wears a ton of hats, and... One of, one of the things that I fear, and I, I did a, a question about uh, on Instagram a few weeks ago, asking people what some of their creative fears were, and I got really wonderful responses. But one of my own creative fears, and it's, it's, it's not even really a creative fear, it's, it's, just a, it's just a fear, is being somewhere where I don't know people, and they ask, so, what do you do? <laughs> yeah the dreaded question of right what you do. <laughs> how how do you answer that question with as many hats as you wear do you identify with one pursuit more strongly than another or how do you answer that question yeah such a good question because it's something that as a creative in general that i've struggled with a lot especially in those moments of transitioning from you know kind of one area into another even within that creative umbrella so um when I'm asked at the moment in my career where I am right now um I tell people that I'm an illustrator and I'm also a coach to other entrepreneurial creative types to help them create a business and a life that they love that sustains them and creates a beautiful lifestyle for them without sacrificing what's important to them that kind of blows my mind because I, I mean, the, the fact that you can figure it out, first of all, the people that have it figured out, I am hugely respectful of, uh, but then to be able to, to share what you have learned and, and how you've learned it in a way that is relatable to another person. How did that come about? When did that take shape that that was part of your sort of creative path was was helping others to find theirs rather than just sort of keeping it all to yourself that you that you had found this this answer or these answers what was the impetus to kind of share that with with everyone else yeah i think it's something that in the creative industries we've been kind of conditioned to think that you know we learn what we learn and we keep our cards very close to our chest right. and we don't share what we know and we have our little black book of of um of all the things that help us in our business and we don't share that with anyone um and i think that comes from a real scarcity mindset of you know there's there's only so many pieces to the pie and if i tell you the secret to how i get mine then it means there's going to be more for you and less for me 
And I've kind of never really connected with that idea. I've always been that person who's desperate to tell people about books they should read and programs they should take and podcasts they should listen to. I'm kind of that person that's always like, go do all these things. And, you know, I've always been someone that's shared what I've learned along the way. And certainly for me, you know, as I started to learn and grow within my own business, and first of all, as a graphic designer and then transitioning into doing more illustrative type work. I just felt this real natural need to kind of share my story because I could see so many other creatives who were struggling with the same things that I was struggling with. You know, this idea that we just need to you know, work harder to make more money and that idea of being the struggling, starving artist. You know, um, we have to either choose our creative pursuit or we choose to make good money. But those things, you know, can't come together. Sure. Rarely and, do they and, intersect. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, they're not mutually exclusive. You know, I wanted to be able to to make really great money. And I think that's something not enough creators talk about. You know, I want to make a huge amount of money because it means that I'm able to help more people. Mm -hmm. I'm able to get out there in the world in a much bigger way and have a positive impact on people and create a really beautiful life for me and my family. And um, And I kind of say that unapologetically because I think we're taught that, you know, that we shouldn't want to earn money from our craft. But, you know, I call bullshit on that because we need, you know, money makes the world go round. If we want to live a good life and we want to have impact, we need to be making money. And the more money I make means the more positive impact I'm having on people. So um, I I don't have a problem with saying I'm, I'm a creator that, that wants to make good money because I know that me making good money has a really positive impact on so many other people. Mm -hmm. Were those things ever mutually exclusive for you? The idea of you have to either choose the craft or success? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I remember, yeah, being being at university, I, I studied graphic design and there definitely was that collective mindset, even within you know, our lecturers at university was this idea of you've chosen to follow this creative path and you're just going to have to roll with it and accept that your life is going to have a ceiling. You know, your earnings are going to have a ceiling on there. And so I think that was something that I kind of subconsciously took on. Also, I think when it comes to our mindset around money and what it is to make money and what it is to earn really good money doing what we love, I think that's that's something that a lot of people struggle with, not just creatives, but you know, people in general, there's a lot of resistance around around their beliefs and our, our mindset around money. And certainly for me, when I look back, there was definitely a belief within my family about you either, you know, work really hard and you make the money, or you're the person who is the the loving parent who stays at home and, and has the freedom of their time. So for me growing up, that was certainly something that I inherited from my parents, mm -hmm. my Dad was the entrepreneurial type. He had his own business that he had taken over from my grandfather um, and really built it from a very small business to to a really big, big, big business that he then sold um, to a Japanese company before he retired um, back in 2006, it would have been. And so I definitely got my entrepreneurial business kind of head from my dad. But then my mom... When she had my older brother at 24, she gave up work and she was very much the stay-at-home mom. So she was the, the person who, you know, looked after the house, who looked after us three kids. She ferried us around from, you know, soccer to swimming to netball to all the activities whilst my dad went to work. So growing up, I very much had that, 
belief that you either were the loving stay-at-home parent or you were the person that made the money, but you couldn't be both. Right. And so that was very much something that I kind of had to work through once I started to to get some traction in my business, that this was still a kind of niggly little belief in the back of my mind that I couldn't have both. And I can see in reflection now how I would hold myself back from opportunities because I was still believing that, well, if I make all this money, it means there's less time for me to to be a parent, to be around my kids and to be that that mother that I wanted to be to them. So I think there's, yeah, lots of resistance comes up around those ideas of of how we identify as a creative and as someone who who has that business drive in them and who wants to kind of not necessarily be a trailblazer, but but craft their own path and follow their own path. I mm-hmm. think um, certainly something that there's a there's a bit of tension in there. Did you see your father enjoying what he did? Was was it work or did he enjoy that sort of entrepreneurial lifestyle where where you were able to see, well, wait a minute, I can enjoy what I do and be financially successful in the same go? Mm, yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because my dad loved what he did. He loved his work. Mm-hmm. But it came at the expense of not having a particularly connected relationship with his kids when they were young. Mm. I think my dad was someone who didn't necessarily know how to be a very active and, and, and emotionally available father when we were kids. But it was so funny because there was a, a, a switch that flipped when I went off to university and we then had much more in common and much more that we could connect over when it came to to me being an adult and um and certainly when I moved from Scotland then to Australia and um, a relationship just grew and grew so it was really interesting to see that he was someone who loved his work um but he he definitely chose work and career over fostering those relationships with my brother and sister and I when we were kids and so that was something that that I had to kind of work through myself is know that that I could have the love of the business, but I could also love my kids as well. And right. that I didn't have to make a choice between them. That I, at that time, that was my view of my dad, that he had chosen to focus on work. It wasn't that he didn't love us kids, but that was where he chose to focus most of his energy and time. Um, because my mom had very much taken on the role as the primary caregiver for, for the kids at home. Mm-hmm. How did you find yourself able to navigate those waters of, of being entrepreneur and parent and having the time, the energy, and the resources to do both where your father maybe didn't feel like he had the bandwidth to, to accomplish both? Mm. I think what I've learned over the years, and it's, it's very much a process as well of, of remembering and, and being very conscious and doing the work on a daily basis. but. For me, this idea of, you know, just put your head down and just work hard and just keep keep on at it. Um, I've never really subscribed to that idea. Like I am definitely someone who likes to work hard, but not at the sacrifice of other things in my life. So for me, it was about getting really, really structured with how I spent my time. And I, I know structure and routine um, and following a schedule is not a plan of the creative you know we don't we don't like it we like to think that we can just you know work when we're inspired and you know that the muse will come and meet us when we're ready we can't (laughs) we can't (laughs) 
Absolutely. And I think what I've learned is that inspiration comes through doing the work. Right. You know, we, if we sit there and wait for inspiration to come, it's not going to come. Um, but once we start doing the work and we start to try things out and fail our way forward, that's when inspiration comes because we see what's working and what's not working and we get momentum in our businesses once we actually start doing the work. Um, and I think I, you know, I could see it in myself that I was guilty of sitting back waiting for that, you know, divine download to come and tell me what I should be doing with my life, but right. it never quite came. So I thought, well, let's just try stuff and see what happens. And so for me, having structure, having very clear goals set and having a very definite plan has really completely changed my life from a, a creative and business point of view and also in my relationships um, with the people that are close to me. I probably the person I know that gets the most done and has the most free time because I've got this real great structure that just works and 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 I've got a way of keeping myself accountable moving forward and and it's certainly not always been the case um I was someone that just wanted the end result but didn't quite know how to get there but certainly with the work that I do with clients I, I see it all the time that people you know, they feel like they're trying things and they're not working. And so they give up and they jump ship and they change the goals and they change what, what it is they're working towards. But for me, it's about, you know, having this really definite goal that I'm working towards and then just making it virtually impossible for me to not achieve it because I'm someone who's just willing to try everything until it eventually works. Mm. And I think that's, that's the difference that a lot of creators, because our work is so close to us and it's so personal that any perceived failure just has us shut down and we we just don't want to put ourselves out there we don't want to experience the potential embarrassment or humiliation or shame or guilt that comes with having done something and having failed right but i'm willing to experience it all like if it's humiliation bring it if it's embarrassment i'll happily take it because the worst that can happen is just a sensation in my body. I just, I feel humiliated, but I don't have to make that mean any more than that. It's just simply something I experience and like any other emotion or feeling, it'll pass and I'll move on to the next thing. And so I'm willing to try anything because nothing will kill me. You know, right. nothing is going to, is going to really put me in harm's way other than the fact that, yeah, I fail and some people see it. Probably not as many people as I think. And then I'll just try something else. And if that doesn't work, I'll try something else. And I think that's what's really helped me create a lot of momentum in my business is that I'm just willing to fail and not really care about it and not make it mean anything about me personally. Is, it seems like that's a common response that you that you must get from people wanting to have you coach them is, how do I not take the failure in? How do I not make the failure personal? Mm, I think it's, it's about redefining what failure is. Failure just means that you tried something and it didn't work. Like that's it. It doesn't mean anything about us personally. And it's this idea that you've got to make all these failures to get to that point. You know, um, I think anyone that's done anything of any great note has failed massively along the way. Sure. But we don't see failures as the as a fan of the work. You know, we look at people whose work we really admire and and what they're doing in the world we really respect. But we don't see all the failures that have come before that because not that many people were paying attention when they were failing. It's only now that people are paying attention that they've failed their way forward that we think there's some kind of special unicorn that's just, you know, come up with an idea, 
and it just was this instant overnight success but it's not the case it's they've, they've failed massively along the way and it's about having that resilience to allow yourself to fail and to not make it mean anything about you personally and to know that failure is just a step in the right direction you know it's it gives you clarity on what's not working so you know more of what is going to work you know it's just it's a way of refining what you're doing and moving forward and for me it's just part of the process Mm -hmm. what are some of the common when 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 potential clients come to you asking for your services what are they looking to gain what are they looking to learn from you that they're not seeing or or being able to do in their own lives one of the big things is people have, they tell themselves that they're someone who's a procrastinator, that they, oh, I'm that. they want to do things. <laughs> I'm one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one of the most common. Um, and people also with creators, they've got so many ideas. They don't know which one to focus on. Oh, I'm, I'm that too. Um, and so, yeah, people have too many ideas and because they have too many ideas, they just, they choose indecision. Mm-hmm. They choose not to decide which one done. And that's really a big part of my work is that people, people have so many ideas and they're frightened to choose one in case it's the wrong one. Right. But my philosophy is there's no such thing as a wrong idea because you might try it and it won't work and you'll try something else. You know, um, there's no such thing as a bad decision. The worst thing that we can do whether it's in our work as a creative or it's in our relationships or our life in general, sitting in indecision is just an indulgent place to be. It mm-hmm. doesn't actually serve. It doesn't move us forward. And it is actually a choice. People think they struggle to make choices, but choosing not to choose is actually a choice. Right. We're just choosing to stay in decision. We're choosing to stay confused. We're choosing to feel overwhelmed. But these things are a choice. So if we're making a choice, why not make it be one that actually has us moving in some kind of direction? Because to just stay still, people think that, you know, if I just don't make a decision, then I'll stay in this place and nothing will change. But that's not the case, you know, especially when it comes to our creativity. If we don't use it and there's no movement and momentum there, then it metastasizes, you know, it becomes something that works against us and that's when we you know slip into depression when we can feel guilt and shame and frustration anger towards ourselves um it's not something that's benign it's something that does have an impact on us if we don't make decisions on it so for me it's the idea of just making a decision and just choosing to believe that the decision i choose right now is the best decision for me and to just own that and believe it and move forward with that i think we can often choose a decision and if it doesn't quite go as we plan straight off the bat then we kind of want to retract and then choose the other thing but that just keeps us in the cycle of not knowing of indecision of being uncertain about ourselves so for me what I get my clients to do is just make a decision just choose just say by the end of today or by the end of this week that thing that I'm not sure about I'm just going to choose it and I'm going to be all in and I'm just going to decide that is the right thing for me at this moment and not consider the alternative because considering the alternative is just a leak of our energy. It has us kind of looking behind us. You know, we've got one eye looking behind us and then we've got one eye looking ahead and we're in this place where we're not really quite sure where we're moving. Um, and that's, that's when we just feel in that place of being stuck and being 
in indecision and and it can last a really long time so mm-hmm. yeah pick one and just decide that's the best decision and move forward yeah i i know in in my own life that idea of analysis paralysis is so pervasive where i i just i have so many choices ahead of me that making one of them for fear of it being the wrong one leaves me motionless mm. and if i do something as simple as just even in the last couple of weeks just starting to use a calendar again and scheduling things it's almost like i'm taking the decision making out of the process because i look at it and i go okay it's on the calendar i've got to do this this and this today it's almost as if i don't have i don't give myself the time to second guess it because I've, I've only got X number of hours in the day and I've got to get these things done and I can't spend that time vacillating back and forth on whether or not I should get it done because it's on the calendar. So obviously I thought it important enough to put it there in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that idea. And I love that you touched on calendar and because it's such a massive thing and it's something that I resisted for a really long time. <laughs> Calendars were not my friend because I'm like, oh, I'm creative. I don't need a calendar. Right. Those are the best friends of creatives, let me tell you. So where did all this insight come from? I mean, you know, you've talked about being graphic designer and, and your illustration. And, and it's so funny because like I, I follow you and I'm blown away by not only how prolific you are, but how varied you are in what you're putting out. So where did this insight into, into, um, keeping track or, or, or keeping this sort of mental checklist of what worked and what didn't, where did it all come from? And how did it get to you to the point of saying, okay, right then, I'm going to share this with other people? Mm, I think there was a big shift for me as for many people when my first son was born mm-hmm. um, with the, the kind of timeline of things to, to give people some perspective. I had moved to Australia in 2007 Gabriel was born 2009. And so for those two years, I had been working as a graphic designer for IMG, the sports and media marketing company. So I was doing all the branding and graphics for all of their events um, within Australia and within Asia as well, which for me on paper was like my dream job. You know, I was involved in sports and fashion and events. I got to to be creative. I worked with an amazing team. Um, The reality of it wasn't quite as glamorous. Right, right, right. Was this a 60 Um, hour work week type of thing where you're just there all uh, the time? Yeah, it was. And Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, you know, I thought you go into businesses like this and they're going to have big budgets and they're going to give you all the money and you're going to have free reign creatively, which I found the opposite to be true. How'd that work out for you? (laughs) Yeah, not not so well. (laughs) What I also realized was, and I was able to admit at that time, it was I am a terrible employee. I'm Mm. really bad. How so? Because I really want to stick to the to the constraints, and obviously working, you know, having your own business and working with clients, there's always going to be constraints and mm-hmm. containers, and timelines that we're going to have to work towards. But I was really resistant of being told that you have to be here on a Monday morning at eight thirty, and you can leave on, you know, a Friday afternoon at five thirty. And you have this time for your lunch. And if we've got these big projects, you're going to have to stay back, but you won't get paid any overtime. And I just had a real problem with this because I thought this is not the best use of my time or your time or your money or, you know, the the end result for the client. Like no one's getting the best deal here. And so 
I kind of always had a bit of resistance with that. And certainly being my own boss and having my own business was something that I kind of always saw in the future for me. I wasn't quite sure how it was going to play out. Um, so I've worked at IMG for a couple of years. I am pregnant with my first baby. I go off on maternity leave. Two months into my maternity leave, I find out that they are restructuring the business and the no. entire team in Melbourne is being no. in danger. <laughs> While so you're on maternity leave. Yeah, yeah. It was a pretty scary time. Um, you know, I'd been living in Australia at that time for two, two and a half years. Um, had a baby that was two months old. I wasn't quite sure what I was meant to be doing with on a daily basis. You right. know, I was still trying to work all that stuff out. Um, and, you know, finding my feet as a new mum, as someone who's relatively new to a, a country, um, has a small group of close friends, but obviously not any extended family or anything like that. So it was a really scary time. Oh, and also I'd booked to go back to Scotland for Christmas that year um, to, you know, take the baby home for Christmas and have Christmas with his extended family. So I've got a, a month overseas. Um, I've oh got my gosh. I've just into a new house. Wow. <laughs> and I've got no job. So I was like, well, there's no time like the present to do this, this freelance thing. So I kind of, I started freelancing um, my graphic design work actually freelance back to IMG, which <laughs> it was funny because I'm like, now I get to work on my time. Right. <laughs> on my yeah. time. Remember that thing that I talked to you about when I was an employee here? Exactly. Um, so that's kind of how I got started in and having my own business. But certainly um, with the business stuff aside at that time, you know, it was, it was a real time of reflection for me. Right. Um, being a new mom, having this identity as a as a parent, having this little person to to care for, um, I really started to get interested in you know the the world of personal development and and um and just started reading and absorbing so much information that was out there. And what I realised was the further that I dived into this personal work, the the more positive impact it would have on my business. So I was able to kind of take what I was learning that was helping me feel better as a human on this planet at this time um, and really apply the same kind of strategies to my business as well. So for me, it was this curiosity of like, right, this is working in one area of my life. How can I apply it somewhere else? Mm -hmm. um, as the universe would have it, the doors that opened then, the people that I connected with um you know it the synchronicity was was really beautiful and so um I then just I've always been someone who's been you know a, a forever learner I'm always someone who's curious about learning learning more so yeah I dove into to working with other coaches you know both personally and in my business and and really just opened myself up to learning as much as possible from from as many people as possible who were doing something that was a little bit different who it wasn't the kind of old school business mentality and that it was people that were really doing what they loved and they were having a massive impact in the world. Um, but it wasn't at the cost of the other things that were important to them. So for me, it was, it was kind of that, that dive into the more personal stuff mm -hmm. um, that I was able to apply to my business. And, and it's really just grown from there that now there's no separation for me. There it, it is that, 
that kind of, <laughs> I want to say beautiful grey area. It doesn't sound very exciting to right, say it's a right. grey area. But there's no stark black and white for me when it comes to how I show up with my clients and my business and how I show up, you know, with my guy and with my kids and with my friends. You know, it's it's about just bringing me to everything. And that has been an absolute game changer for me to feel permission to just be myself mm-hmm. in all those places. Well, and it, and it seemed, no, it, it, it seems like it was such a dramatic change from what you grew up experiencing, that that, mm-hmm. that was this sort of unseen world that you never even, in, on some level, knew was possible to have that sort of work-home life balance that you've achieved or seemingly achieved now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And there were times where, and I think we've all had them, where you know, I was mad at the parents I had been given because they weren't right. the perfect parents for me, you know. And um, when I look back now, um, I can say they were the perfect parents because I got to see both lifestyles sure. and take from each what I wanted. I got to see my mum being this woman who sacrificed herself for her kids and for her husband um, and, and who was that solid forever presence in our days she was there when we woke up in the morning she was there to collect us from school she took us to all our sporting events that we had on she was this forever presence and then I got to see my dad be someone who got to take something very small and build it into something really big um, all by himself Mm. and so when I look back now I I understand that my parents were the perfect parents for me because I got to take what I appreciated and respected in each of them and I get to merge them together. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some, you know, frustration and resistance when I was younger about not having the parents that I felt I should have. Um, I wouldn't be me today if it weren't for those kind of opposing elements that they both were able to to instill in me. Sure. So I'm so grateful for it now. When did that realization come for you that they weren't the wrong parents, but were in fact the right parents? Was it before or after your son was born? I think it was after my son was born because mm-hmm. I, I think when kids come into our lives, whether they're, you know, there are biological kids or kids come into our lives through other people. I think we look at our parents and we kind of let them off the hook for a lot of shit that they did that we blame them. Right, for. right, right, right. We can see that our parents are just humans and they were just trying their best. They were trying what they thought was the best. And and maybe the things that we felt they were lacking, they just didn't know how. They just didn't have the awareness of. And so there was definitely a shift in perception um, of of who I expected and wanted my parents to be once once I became a parent myself. Because I could say that, you know, I certainly don't get it right 100% of the time as a parent. Um, and that's certainly something that, that I speak to my boys about is, you know, if I don't know something, I'll tell them. I'm not quite sure. Let's right. work it out. Right. Or, if I do something to upset them, then to be able to say I'm sorry, you know, these are yeah, things to that be I able to own the behavior. Sure. sure. Yeah. And it's something I didn't feel like I kind of got from my parents. They were more of that, you know, kind of do as I say, not as I do kind of parents, which I think was quite common. I grew up in the 80s and 90s and I think it was it was quite common, but it was it was this kind of unwillingness to let the guard down because to be the parent, you had to be the authority figure. But certainly for my kids, like I want them to. I want them to see me fail. I want them to see me mess up and be able to apologize and mm-hmm. to make a mess and to own my part in things. And I think that's been really useful for me as a parent to kind of let go of some of that idea of, of what I think a good parent should be. I wonder if it's a generational 
something, at least partially, that that our parents, for some reason, had to be or or tried to be seen as as infallible, tried to be seen as as having it all under control and having you know all of their stuff together when when privately it may have been anything but. Yeah, yeah, and I know when I look at the experiences of my parents, it was very much this facade of success and happiness. Um, it was all about if it looked happy and successful on the outside, then then that was the success. You had created a good life. It didn't necessarily matter how you felt internally, um, that as long as it looked good to everyone else, um, then you were doing well. And I think um, that for me was a generational thing. Growing up in Scotland, in that time, it was very much this kind of like outward show of success. Um, whereas now I feel like there is a bit of a shift and it's a much more open, messier way of parenting, um, which it doesn't necessarily sit comfortably with that generation. I know there's been times where I've made decisions that that my mum has had a really strong reaction to. Um, and it comes from a place of fear for her or a place of her feeling like perhaps she didn't have the same opportunities available to her at that point, you know, and, and, and fear of, of me making choices that, that she didn't have. I think there's some resistance, um, that comes up there, but I think, yeah, certainly this generation of parenting seems to be a lot less pressure on ourselves to, mm. to conform to the idea of what it is to be successful. And it's, it's a lot more of a kind of get your hands in the clay and just, you know, see, see what we can make with, with what we've been given. Sure. Have you and your mom ever had that that conversation about sacrifice and about has she ever talked about some of the things that she felt she maybe didn't do or or didn't dive into as fully because of of the situation of of what it was like to be a parent then? Mm, I think so. I I saw my mom um you know my mom was a hairdresser and she stopped working full time when she had my brother when she was just 24. Mm. She was young. And, uh, and, and she didn't go back to work and, and it was because, you know, her role was then to be, to be at home and my dad went off to work and, and she saw her role very much as being there to facilitate my dad's growth in the business, mm-hmm, you know, her job mm-hmm. to take care of the family so he could focus all his attention over there. Um, and, and for my mum to see me as a parent who who does value the business side as much as, as I value the the family side as well, I think that was difficult for her to see because I think it wasn't something it wasn't an option that she was given. Sure. You know, it was a very much choice for her to choose one or the other. Um, and and she would say now that she absolutely made the right choice, which you know I think it's fantastic to look back into to. to to kind of back yourself and know that that's exactly how it was how it was meant to play out but certainly for me to to give up one for the other just wasn't an option it wasn't gonna it wasn't going to be how my life was going to play out and so there was definitely um a bit of contrast there between you know my mum's reality and her choices versus mine mhm mhm yeah my my mom you know she went to be a cosmetologist, hairdresser. And, uh, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here in, in the U S and California anyway, it was like 1500 hours to, Mm -hmm. to get your license. And my father made her quit with like 20 something hours to go. 
because he mm. didn't want, he decided he didn't want her working, that, that her role was to be home taking care of me. Mm. And, yeah. uh, you know, frankly, yeah. she regretted it her whole life. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because I have a very similar story from my family. Um, when my younger sister was perhaps three or four, so she's five years younger than I was. So my mom would have had a, a three-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a ten-year-old. Wow! And she um, started. She had gone back to doing some hairdressing, and she was um, she was like a mobile hairdresser. You know, she was going to people's houses and cutting their hair mm-hmm. um, in a freelance capacity. Um, and there was one day where she, my brother and I were at school and she had to drop my sister off at my dad's office. And um, her client was just, you know, around the corner and she had arranged beforehand to drop my sister off for an hour while she went to this client appointment. And one of the secretaries that worked in my dad's office um, had said afterwards, this isn't a daycare center. She can't just be dropping the baby off here when she's wow. gone to work. Wow. And so did, did your father that, know about that at prior to? Mm, yeah. Yeah. It had been prearranged. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then after that, she never did it again, you know? And so it was very much, this is an inconvenience to my business. Right. right. This isn't really going to work, you know? And I think her, her work was viewed as, as a bit of a hobby, a bit of, you know, it's something to get you at the right. house. And right. Isn't that something. cute? Yeah. yeah. And I think that it, like the whole, I think my, the the view of business back then was to make money. You know, it wasn't something that you did because it was a creative pursuit or something that you just were really passionate about and enjoyed spending your time on. Right. It was about the bottom line. Right. And right. You know, if you were paper, supposed to they, enjoy it, they wouldn't call it work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it and it makes me feel really sad that it was something that my mum wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, how lonely it can be being stuck at home with young kids. You know. Right. <laughs> it's. Like, it can be about Groundhog Day. And so, um, you know, she looks back and she's ha- she's happy with the choices that she made now, but I can't help but feel like at that time, you know, how much of a blow that must have been and and, and the impact it would have had on her self-confidence as well. Oh, sure, know, as, sure. As an independent woman, you know, she at the time she would have been in her early 30s and to think... Um, that, you know, these doors were being closed for her right, at that right. time. Um, and, and to see the next several decades of her life all but planned out for her had to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's where she felt very uncomfortable when it came to me making choices that, that weren't what we thought the next 5, 10, 20 years were going to look like. Um, when I made the choice to separate from my ex-husband, who I have my two kids with, it was met with a lot of resistance from my mom. And I think that that comes back from, from, you know, when she was the same age as me in a very similar situation to me, she didn't feel um, that she had any options ahead of her, not mm-hmm. necessarily in that she, you know, wanted to leave her marriage, but she just never felt like that was an option. And right. so for me to, to own that right as a woman to make choices about how my life's going to look in five, 10, 20 years time and to take responsibility for, for my own life, I think was very confronting for her because it hadn't been her reality. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think, and, and it's, this is purely speculation, it's impossible to know, but do you think you would be in a different spot had you not become a parent? Do you think you would have made different choices or, or were those choices about pursuing what you wanted to do, how you wanted to do it in a way that was 
sustainable on both sides of the the personal professional line, would you be in a similar space? Mm, that's interesting. I've never actually been asked or thought of that before. Um, would it be different? I think it would be different because I think becoming a parent made me get very intentional about how I wanted to spend my time and mm-hmm. made me become selfish in a good way of making choices for me and for my family without trying to people please everyone else round about me. So not knowing what our life would look like if it weren't for those things that happen along the way. I think were I to be here today and not have my children, I wouldn't have that same self-belief or that same level of intention with my life. I think I would still be in a place of trying to please other people around me and probably be in that default way of of trying to do, you know, the quote unquote business thing, the the old school way. Right. Um so I think, yeah, my kids definitely gave me the perspective to do things on my own terms. And and for me, one of the most important things is I want to be an example of what's possible. I want to be an example of what's possible for my kids. I want to be an example of what's possible for my clients, for the people who think well, I've chosen this certain career path or this certain endeavor. I'm just going to have to deal with the cards that I've been dealt. And for me, you know, I, that's why it's so important that I am a creative and I work with creatives because I want to show them, you know, this is what I've applied to my own life and this is the result it's had. And, and I want to be able to help facilitate not this necessarily the same changes or the same results, but what's important for my client and mm-hmm. what is it they want. And let's move forward towards that. And rather than going after what other people have kind of expected for them or they've subconsciously expected of themselves, but it's actually not something they're even interested in. We spend so much time going after things that we couldn't give a shit about when we really think about it, you know, because we're, we're told to think, well, this is, this is the road that you should be on. This is where you should be traveling. You should be trying to do a solo exhibition, you should be trying to sell your work online, you should be doing workshops, like whatever it may be. Like that might be true for you, but maybe that is of absolutely no interest to you. Maybe you want to do something completely different. And it's about really owning what, first of all, recognizing what it is you actually do want to do. Because so many people have no idea what they want to do, get no intention for what their life is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, it's going to look like how on earth are we meant to make choices that are going to move us closer to that right right so I think the first thing is just to get super clear about what you actually want your life to look like do you want the car and the house and the 2.4 children because if you do then that's fantastic but maybe you want to have a small little apartment that you can then you know take off six months of the year and go and travel maybe that's your idea of the dream life and so, you know, going for the the corporate job is not going to suit your lifestyle. So I think it's getting clear on what you actually want to do in your life and then making choices that are aligned with that and aligned with your priorities. Because I think we're just, we're not clear on that. And that's what keeps a lot of people stuck in that indecision is they don't actually know what it is they want. Is, is, and, and is that common? You find that, that people that come to you really don't have a clear idea of of what they're after but they're expending all this sort of time and energy trying to get somewhere without really defining where they want to go yeah yeah what i found is that people go after 
the goals that they set because they think that they'll feel a certain way when they achieve the goals. So if it's you know having your your solo art exhibition, people go after that because they want to feel successful, they want to feel validated, they want to feel excited about the work, they want to feel creative. But we've got it back to front. We can feel those things right now if we want to feel them. We can just choose to feel successful and we can choose to feel accomplished. And when we know how we want to feel, then we can get intentional about how we then manifest that, how we then put that into to practice in our day-to-day life. So, you know, we've got it back to the front. We go after the thing because we think we'll feel a certain way, when actually we can just choose to feel that certain way and then decide how we go about that. And that's one of the, the core things that I see people, you know, slipping up on all the time is that is this this outward need for things to be a certain way in order for them to feel the way they want to feel. But we can just choose to feel that right now. We can choose to feel successful about ourselves without other people telling us that that's the case. See, that's a tough one for me, if I'm being honest, because I, I, and, and maybe it's years of sort of uh, almost conditioning that you have to have uh, the body of work, the street cred, the the reviews, the you you have to have the external validation before the internal validation matters. Mm. There has to be some sort of external uh, markers or or uh, criteria that have somehow been met before you have earned the the ability to um, be happy or be proud of the work or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, it's certainly something that that. I definitely came from that place before of, you know, wanting things to look a certain way because I would then had this expectation of feeling a certain way. And a good example is, you know, I got married at 23, 24, had the two kids, had the house, had the car, you know, on paper, everything should be perfect and I should feel happy and successful. Right. And I've never been more lonely in my whole life than I was at that point. Wow in a huge house, um, in a beautiful area and felt so deeply lonely and disconnected from myself. And so I think that's an example of, you know, all those things should have made me feel happy and successful and they didn't. And what's really turned it around for me is, is kind of really getting back to basics and being like, you know, I can, I can choose to feel happy, maybe happy today. And I think happy is quite a crappy word because what is happy you know I think it's it's not a particularly emotive word but for me to feel successful you know I when I moved out the four-bedroom family home I moved into this tiny little 1970s beach shack that had terrible heating no cooling which in the summer in Australia is a bit of a nightmare right um, a kitchen that had no cabinets just shelving um uh, ceilings that were so low you could stand in the rooms and touch the ceiling and I'm not a particularly tall person um, and I had never felt happier or more successful in my whole life because it was that. yours wasn't it yeah yeah because there was intention behind it because it's something I had chosen as opposed to just you know going down the path and taking the things off the list and so for me it, it was a real kind of tangible example of being able to strip everything back and knowing that success and happiness and achievement doesn't come from those external things because I had them all and I was miserable. 
then why do so many, and, and this is, this is a, we're straying a little bit, but I think it's interesting. Why is so much of uh, the creative arts, especially the visual arts, there's a perception that if you've got the, the followers and the likes and the, the footprint that, that you have arrived, that you have made it when it seems on some level like that is so inauthentic and it's become this, this sort of one-upsmanship of, of social media flexing that really has nothing behind it. How do you encourage people to not pursue that when it seems like those are the people who are getting, uh, because of the follows and the likes and, and, and the footprint, they're getting the ad dollars, they're getting, uh, the rev share deals. How do you separate those two? Mm. The question is, are they, are they making the money that we think they're making? Mm -hmm. And if they are, are they happy? Do they feel the way that they want to feel, even if they do or don't have the money? And like for me, when it comes to those things and especially comparing ourselves to others, I just, I get super practical and I start to go out and just look for people that are an example of, of where I want to be. And also examples of people who have what I think I want. But I know that they're, it's it's not all rainbows and daisies. You know, I think with me, I look at there's businesses that I know are making multiple eight figures. You know, there's the million dollar businesses. Um, my own personal coach um, has just this last year, her revenue, 17 million dollars. Oh, my God. As a, as a personal wow. business coach. Um, and she says that, you know, unapologetically, and it's not to brag or boast, but she is very much an example of what is possible. Um, so a $17 million company with a handful of full-time employees. Um, and she has, I think, 16.1 thousand followers on Instagram. Hmm. So it makes nothing. Right. Like the Instagram followers make nothing. I think so many creators put far too much attention and importance on things like Instagram. It's just a distraction. It's actually, unless you've got a really clear strategy about how you want to engage on there and, and how that's actually going to convert into either more buyers of your work or more clients or more customers, then you shouldn't be spending your time on there. Right. You know, it's, it's not healthy or a constructive place to be unless you treat it like a business tool. And that's been what I've did, you know, using things to schedule your posts. People are like, oh, but it's not authentic. It's not me in real time it is it's just you've carved out half a day at the start of the month to schedule what you're going to post on social media and just use it as a business to use it as a way to connect rather than somewhere that you you know are spending so much time because you're calling it networking when in actual fact you're just going on there and comparing yourself to strangers <laughs> right right who may, may not be doing what you think they're doing guilty <laughs> any further forward you're not creating anything you're not actually creating any momentum you're just feeling pissed off and then you know burying your head in the sand about it right so i think when it comes to you know examples of of people that are have made it online and have huge followings they're not necessarily doing the work that they love and they're not necessarily living the best life some people are some people have you know millions of followers and are truly happy in doing what they love and that's fantastic, but it's it's more the exception than it is the rule. Sure. Do you think you can be a, a new creative professional, establishing a, a, a new presence as a creative professional and 
and not use social media and still be successful and just ignore it completely? Or, or is it, have we gotten to that point where, where on some level it is a required tool for, for promoting the work that you do? Mm. That rebellious part of me wants to say, no, you don't have to be on social media. You can just forget about it and pretend like it's not there. But then I know that it is an essential part of business these days, especially with my business, because it's not a a typical kind of location dependent business that it is. I have global reach. Most of my clients are in different parts of the world and we connect over technology. So um Certainly, the online space is a gateway to connect with those people that you know aren't necessarily at networking meetings or conferences that you're going to in your town or in your city. But I think having a presence is important. But how much of your personal presence and how much of your personal life that you put out there, I think, is at your discretion. You know, if you are going to be on social media, you can be on it in a way that is aligned with you. Um, you can take time off, and the world isn't going to come to an end you can come back. Um, I think consistency is important, but you can also choose to to take some time off if you need to, to kind of reconnect with yourself and, and refocus on where you're going because it's an easy place to get distracted. And And we all can see that the more time we spend on social media, the less work we're actually doing in the world, the less output we have and and the more negative we feel about ourselves. So I think it is directly proportional sure Um, but with regards to having a presence on social media i think it is an important part of business i do know a couple of businesses um who are in the creative space and who don't have any presence but i think that's unusual and i think that's that's businesses that kind of were established before sure agreed things like game as important as they are but i think you have to be on there but you can do it in a way that works for you and is aligned with you yeah there are some old school kind of photographers and and artists and illustrators that don't have direct presence. Uh, they're gallerist or or you know their their studio may have a presence, but they themselves really kind of stay away from it. And and in to your point, it does become just a tool of of here's where the next show is, or here's here's the latest body of work. Um, mm. And I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting discipline to, it's almost removing this, this, well, it's, it's, it's removing the personal socialness from the media, but, but still retaining, it becomes more factual than emotional. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think for me, the way I kind of approach Instagram, um, is that, you know, very much what I post is about episodes of the podcast or you know things you know thoughts and ideas and and my illustrations is what I post but then I use things like Instagram stories to have a bit more of a kind of insight into my own personal life and um, which I love sharing with my clients and and with the people that follow me um I don't have a problem with that and again going back to that idea of it being that example you know I want to kind of be a really authentic example of of being able to have free time, but then also having days that are full on work days. And, and I like to be able to kind of document and share that with people. Cause mm-hmm. I think it's an important part of what connects my clients with me is that 
the, I'm not some guru that's got all the answers. I'm sure. maybe just a couple of steps ahead of where they are. And that, that, that's all we need to have. We just have to have to someone who is a couple of steps ahead of where we are and they're in, moving in the direction that we aspire to. And so that's my kind of strategy around social media is that, that I want to share that personal element in little snippets um, in a really authentic way, but then also, you know, have some some content that is done in batches and, and is scheduled and ready to go. And so it's it's a business tool when it comes to that side of things. And I think I think you use it really well in in that respect. We do see we'll see a day at the beach. We'll see uh, you on location doing illustrations, whether it's at a wedding or you're doing a mural or you know, to your point, releasing a new episode of the show. So there, there does seem to be quite a bit of, of looking behind the curtain at your personal life and a lack of kind of separation between the two. And I find that fascinating because there, there are multiple schools of thought on, no, 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 you have to be very purposeful and you have to, to, you know, keep that separate. If you want to post your personal life, then you know, start a new account and post it that way. But your experience seems to be just the opposite, that that if if you're going to be authentic, then you have to be authentic across the board, not just authentic on the business side. It's it's you've got to be able to show both sides of that. Mm, mm, yeah. And I think I have a lot of clients who struggle with that, you know, personal profile versus business profile. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts on that is if it circles back around to what we were saying about there being no black and white. For me, my illustrative work and my coaching work and my life are all one. It's just me. And so for me, it feels inauthentic to separate the two. because, And it feels like hard work to separate the two because they're not separate. They are the same thing. It's the same vibe and the same feel. Um, I think different businesses would have different approaches. Um, and, you know, if you are a business that wants to build a brand to potentially sell on, then of course you're not going to be putting a huge amount of personal content in there because your kind of big goal is to build it to a point that you can you can sell that business or sell that brand. But when it comes to individual creative, either artists or photographers, where your work is very much part of you, the person, then I think it's just easier just to have it all, all in the one. I think we overcomplicate things and think it needs to be much more complex than it than it actually is but i think the the easiest thing is just to be ourselves it sounds stupid but if we just stop trying to have a strategy for life and a strategy for business and just show up and be ourselves and do the work then that's the easiest way to be authentic subscribe to jeffrey sidoris everything in your favorite podcast app to get every episode of in between every iteration, and every process-driven, as well as special one-off conversations, all in one feed. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, at Jeffrey Sadoris, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysadoris.com. You can also send me an email at talkback at jeffreysadoris.com. I'd love to hear from you. Support the shows by sharing them on social media or by tapping the green donate button at the top right corner of the site. You can find Vary on Instagram at Very Longmuir. That's V-A-R-I-L-O-N-G-M-U-I-R or by visiting her website at verylongmuir.com. You can also listen to her podcast appropriately titled The Very Longmuir Podcast in your favorite podcast app. 
Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'll talk to you on the next one.